You know, so, so we took off last week, right? Because it, it was New Year's Eve. I was traveling back to Wisconsin, said, you guys all come together. It just feels like family, like being back. So I, I don't know. I'm just like in a mood where it's like, hey, good to see you. Oh, yeah, hey. Right. You know, so thanks for bearing with me. Um, also, um, thanks for bearing with me. I don't look the same. So I, uh, I wore a beard all of last year. It was this little, uh, not a deal, an agreement with my wife to have a year, uh, a beard for a year, and now it is gone. Um, so if you knew me last year, uh, you will have already noticed that that is the case. I just wanted to apologize because you were the ones that had to look at me. Um, I, didn't ha- I didn't have to look at myself, you know, so I feel, I feel fine. Um, but, but those of you who have let me know uh, that it was a good decision, thank you. Um, we're going we're gonna to stay with this, stay this for a while. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, let me know if you have any other recommendations. No, I hope you guys were able to meet last week. Uh, we encourage you to meet with each other and ask uh, where have you seen God work in your 2023? Where do you want to see him work in 2024 as kind of an opening just to get to know each other more and help encourage one another as we kind of go into our new year, uh, really wanting to see where God's going to work. Uh, also, I don't know if you noticed, but we're doing 21 days of prayer, and we've made a YouTube playlist that has 21 like one-minute devotion videos. Um, the goal for these videos is just to be like this introduction and start into praying I don't know about you, and maybe you are, have an absolutely great, healthy relationship with God, prayer life. Uh, sometimes I just don't know how to pray. I want to pray. I don't know how. Watch this brief little video. It gives you an introduction. There's a Bible verse, and there's a prompt, and then you can start going. Uh, we also created a YouTube playlist uh, that's public so that you can share it with anyone else. So if there's someone in your life that, uh, oh, I'd like to get back into my faith, you know, or, oh, I, I don't know what prayer is, here, j- just try this. These, these are short. These are easy. You can do one a day. Um, that's what we're hoping with this. Uh, you have to follow us on Facebook to get a post every day or go find us on YouTube and then you can just watch the whole playlist. You can watch them all at the same time if you want. Uh, but that's going on right now as well. Uh, for us here on Sunday morning, we're starting a brand new series. Uh, we're calling it Identity. Uh, this is a sermon series that I've been planning for a while. We, we put this one back to this year when we decided to go extra in Deuteronomy. So this is what you guys missed out, but don't worry, you didn't miss it. You're just going to get it right now. Uh, We're breaking down, like, look, identity is a very deep and complex topic. Uh, Like, we all have an identity, right? And and it's difficult to kind of describe or or to kind of fully explore, but the way that I see identity is what makes you you and how do you fit within the world, right? Your identity gives you those answers, right? Like, who are you? How do you fit? within the world. We're going to explore it for six weeks around these six questions. We're going to say, who am I? What if I'm not perfect? Does anybody love me? Do I belong? Am I significant? And what if things go wrong? So each week, we're going to be asking and then answering one of these questions. Um, so feel, come, come back, bring other people. If you feel like, like there's people in your life that would like to know who they are, uh, we're going to explore what God has to say, what the Bible has to say as we go through this process. Uh, the process of creating our identity is something we all go through, not just as kids, but even as adults, as we grow and as we change and as we age, we're constantly asking and answering these same questions. Well, let's be prepared and let's be equipped to understand what does God have to say, what does the Bible have to say so that we can make good decisions and truly know who we are. All right, so today's question is this, who am I? Like, how do you even answer that, right? Like, seriously, if someone asked you, right, like let's say we, we had an icebreaker question, right, and so for the four minutes that we meet and greet, we say, turn to your neighbor and ask them, who are you, you know? What do you, where do you start? 
There's a lot of places. I mean, this is wide open, right? There's a lot of places you could go with this. Easy, low-hanging fruit. This is what I do, right? This is my occupation, right? Or these are my roles, my responsibility. I'm a father, right? Or if you're a mother, you know, it's like, this is, this is who I am. This is kind of the roles I play in society. You can go a little further, and you can kind of say, uh, these are my strengths or my, my uh, talents, you know, my skills. Like, th- this is how I'm useful, right? Like, here's, here's not just the roles I play, but kind of more who I am that comes out toward other people. Um, you can go deeper, uh, more toward yourself with uh, personality traits. You know, I'm, I'm funny, or I'm smart, or I'm uh, a little bit too much to handle, you know, or wh- whatever you want to say, because that feels like you. But I'd like to hypothesize or make the, uh, a conjecture that when we answer this question, who am I, it's always going to be attached to others in some way. Because even if you say deep my personality, right? I'm, I'm funny. Well, the only thing that gives that meaning is others, with others, you know? And, and, and culture will tell you, okay, if you're smart, well, then this is what that means. And here's the role that you play. If you say your roles, your responsibilities, you know, your skills, it's all based on how you interact with others. Um, and some of us, maybe this isn't what we'd answer here, but when you're looking at yourself in the mirror and you say, who am I? You hear other people who have told you who you are, right? Both positive and negative, right? I mean, maybe from the same person, right? It's your parents growing up that say, oh, why couldn't you be this? Or, oh, we're so proud of you for being this. And so your whole life, okay, I'm going I'm to be that, right? Or I'm going to prove them wrong, you know, or I'm not going to be that. So much of what we answer when we say, who am I, is answers from others. And this, this is actually our problem, right? We answer the question, who am I, with an answer from others, it's, it's not actually who we are, but rather it's a who we are with respect to other people, what other people have told us. Uh, now, now here's, may, maybe you don't, you don't think that. Do you remember that song? Um, it's a Christian song by Lauren Daigle called You Say. Okay, like it, you, the only way you could have avoided it is if you don't listen to any radio or Christian radio like the last five years. It, it, it broke records. Do you know Billboard? It's this publication that tracks like the, the most popular songs. They've got this hot 100 list of the top songs in the nation. Um, then they also have it for different genres. Uh, that song, You Say, was number one on the Christian list for two and a half years. It, it, it was a record. It's longer. Any song in any genre that's been the, the top song, it was released in 2018 in the summer. It was the number two song in 2018. And then number one song in 2019, one song in 2020, number one song in 2021. It, it, it's like unprecedented, right? Um, does anyone want to sing it for us, for those that don't know? I'm just playing. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, the, the song is where the songwriter is just saying, like, other people have said I'm not worth anything, I'm not loved, but you say, the saying God, that I am loved, right? That I am purposeful, right? It's, it's a, actually a very basic song. I looked up the lyrics. It's only got one verse, and then it has a chorus, and the bridge is, I believe, I believe, I believe what you say about me. You know, and like, and we said, that's, I want to hear that, right? Radios couldn't stop playing it, right? You know, like, this is popular. Why is it popular? Because we answer the question, who am I, with an answer from others. We've heard other things from who we are from other people, and we really want to know, well, what do you say about me, right? God, like, it, like what, who am I, right? There's a reason why that song <laughs> was the top song for so long, 132 weeks as the top played Christian song in America. It's because this is our problem. We have to answer this question, who am I, uh, with with an answer of identity, right? Like this is our foundation and what we need is something 
that is going to provide us with enough strength and ability to maneuver a life that's going to be shaking us and, and tossing us and turning us. Um, it's like building a house in an earthquake zone, right? Where it's like, okay, life will move us sideways. <laughs> we'll toss and turn us. Like, like if, you, if you don't know that to be true yet, just grow up a little bit, right? You know, like wait till your first birthday, right? You know, it's like that's life. So we need an identity that's going to be able to survive that. And if, you're, if you want to earthquake-proof a house, you can do several things. Uh, one is you can kind of strengthen the, the framework of it, right? You can make it stronger so that it takes more shaking in order to break, right? That, that's an easy one. Uh, you can also put kind of like shock absorbers or something that's going to dampen the shakes, right? So that the shakes happen, but you don't feel them quite as much. Or you cannot build directly on the foundation, but you build on something that wiggles a little bit so that when the world's shaking, you're not shaking quite as much. What you essentially need is you need a strong foundation and a flexible foundation. You need strength and freedom. That's what you need. Same thing with identity. The way that you answer the question, who am I? It needs to be strong enough so it's not going to move when the world moves or when life turns upside down. And it also needs to give you enough freedom and flexibility so that you're not caught in a straitjacket. If we answer this question with answers from others, right, their expectations of us, what they've told us to be, that's not going to be strong. And there's no freedom in that anyway uh, because people move, right? So if you, if you answer, because who am I? And it's who your wife wants you to be. It's who your husband wants you to be. It's who your parents wanted you to be. It's who your boss wants you to be. Well, guess what? Their expectations change, you know? And, and then you're changing all the time, right? If it's based on something that they've said, that could change. Their expectations, that, that could change for who you are supposed to be in their eyes, it's not strong at all. It's constantly moving. You need to attach somewhere else. It's also not freeing at all. You're, you're going to be completely subject to whatever they want or whatever you tell yourself that you have to be, and you're not actually able to be free to be yourself. Uh, that, that's, not, that's a terrible way to answer. Now, all right, there's many different ways we can answer. Some of you are already like, okay, I've been to church before. I've heard sermons before. You're going to say God. You know, like that's the answer, right? Build your identity around God. But then some of you are perceptive, right? And you're going to say, well, hold on, hold on. Isn't building your life around God just an iteration of this, right? Because like, okay, you're following God and then he just tells you, you have to do this. This is who you are. You've got to do these things, right? Like haven't you been to church before? Church is really good at saying this is what you need to do, right? This is what you need to look like. Don't look like this. Look like this. It's, it's this, you're absolutely 100% right. And religion speaks with authority, and it actually provides you with a very strong identity. There's a reason why people worldwide, any religion, right, not just Christianity, find deep identity in their religion because it doesn't move, right? Religion, no matter how the world shakes, you say, well, this is true, and I, I can stand on it. But religion itself will not give you freedom, right? If it's just saying you have to do this, you have to, most religions right? If you're following the rules, they say you can have this identity so long as you look like this, so long as you behave like this, as long as you can keep your life in order, right? As long as you don't spill over the edge, you can keep this identity. Once you do, you lose your identity until you can get back in, right? Until you can follow those practices, until you can behave like one of us, then you can wear the badge as one of us. It's, it's a straitjacket. There's no freedom there. You have to follow the rules. It's very strong, but it's also very um, chainy. Oh, I don't know, what's, what's the adjective I'm looking for, right? It keeps you tied. You know, there's no freedom, there's no flexibility in that. The difference 
is if you can find someone, something, something outside of yourself that won't change, that you can attach to, and then somehow attach that to some part of you that won't change, <laughs> right? But it has to be you. It can't be someone else. It's got to be you so that you can still be you and be flexible, but it's got to be strong to something else. That's what we have in the Christian God, right? Un- unlike other gods, the Christian God, the thing that attaches us to him is his love, right? That's the steel cable holding us. And then his character doesn't change. God will always love us. And then you say, well, what about that part where it's got attached to you? I'm pretty squishy, <laughs> you know, like, like I'm not trustworthy, you know, like I'm, I'm not holding up in an earthquake. Guess what? The, what? What God attaches himself to through his love is our nothingness, our, hum, our humanity, like our, our weakness, our failures, the, the, the fact that we don't have anything to offer. That's what he loves, like the, the baseline us. And that's unlike any, any other place you're going to find. Zero expectations. God just loves us. That's our identity that gives us strength, knowing that God won't change. It gives us freedom to be ourselves. Because look, it doesn't matter how successful you get, doesn't matter how much money you make, doesn't matter how good your children are, God still loves you, right? Doesn't matter how big of a failure you are, it doesn't matter how you can't uh, approve of anything that anyone's done and no one is proud of you, right? And how you disappoint yourself and you don't achieve your goals. God still loves you, right? Because he loves the nothingness, the fact that you are squishy, that you're human. You'll never get rid of that. You know that as well as I do. That's what God loves. This is the identity that's worth building around. You are loved by God. The other one was just what I was saying. The Christian identity gives both strength and freedom. But you are loved by God. That's the statement that needs to be at our core of our identity. If, if not, you're going to find something that's not as strong or it doesn't give you as much freedom. Everyone's creating an identity. And I'm telling you, no one has as strong of an identity or as freeing of an identity as one that says, I am loved by God and rests in that. All right, question. How do you know God loves you? I was asked this question at uh, Without Walls. So we talk a lot about the warehouse, which is our Friday night youth center. Um, we also uh, host twice a month a youth group for middle school and high school students here called Without Walls. Um, And we also serve probably 15 to 20 kids there as well. Uh, One of the segments we do is called Ask Pastor Brad Anything. Um, And it's been an absolute revelation. It's my my favorite time uh, to come. And I just, I sit right here on these steps and the kids are just kind of in a semicircle and they ask me anything. Um, They ask me like what my favorite sports teams are. They ask me... um, Oh, what's like another silly one? Like, where have you lived? Uh, how old are you? When's your birthday? Um, but then they'll, then they'll ask me, like, well, well hold on. Uh, is hell real? You know? Does God ever kill anyone? Right? They'll say, um, how do I know if God loves me? And like, re- real questions. And you're like, oh, that one's good. <laughs> you know, it's like, you, you, I don't even know if you understand how deep of a question it is, but like, Adults wrestle with these. It's a fantastic segment. They say that I need to do that here on a Sunday. So if you think it's a good idea, let me know. <laughs> but but I, stu- I, I struggled. How do you answer? How do you know if God loves you? You know, and so I said, okay, well, I think the best way to feel it is be a part of a church, you know, where then the love that we've all experienced, we can share with each other. Uh, don't worry, that's week three when am I loved? <laughs> We're going to get to that. Um, but today, uh, there's a lot in the Bible that tells us that God loves us. If you, if you don't read your Bible, but you've just flipped it open and you've read something, you can probably catch hints that God loves you. 
In fact, I would say that you are loved by God is the main chief motive, you know, of the entire Bible. That's, that's the main theme that everything is connected to. We could, we could go through book by book, chapter by chapter, and then connect the dots. How is this telling the story that you are loved by God? Here's a few examples, popular examples. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. This is Jesus' words himself, saying that God loved the world so much. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm here to save it. I'm not destroying it. I'm actually here for you. Uh, John also wrote a letter in 1 John. Uh, Here's a few verses. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. God loves us. The Bible tells us these things. But you know what I like even more? God isn't uh, just a textbook answer, right? He's not a theology textbook, something you're supposed to study, to know, to learn. He's not, you know, sets of facts and vocabulary that you have to memorize in order to pass the exam. God is a person, and God is love. And, and we'd have to say, well, love needs another, <laughs> you know? Like, like how, can, how can God be love, right? There needs to be someone who is love, like, right? Love is an action. Love is an attachment between two persons, And so if God were truly love, he couldn't just tell us that he loves us, right? He couldn't just say he loves us. He would have to, like, like love us, right? Like, he'd have to, like, come share a table face-to-face, love us. And that's what he did, right? You know, look, I'll criticize other religions all day up here. But it's popular, you know, for for people that are spiritual but but aren't, aren't following any sort of religion, right, aren't religious, to just want to follow love. You know, one big love. We all just want love. Well, Love needs an other. There needs to be a person. And if that person is attached to another human, you'll find that's not too strong. They'll change, you'll change, you're going to disappoint them. Same thing, the same problem when we answer, who am I attached to other people? What you need to do is you need to know love from someone who won't change, from someone whose love won't fail, right? won't fade, won't be determined based on you and your actions. The only person worth following love is a perfect God who's perfectly committed to loving you at your worst, in your nothingness. That's what we have. That's, that's what Christianity is the best, guys. Look, don't, it's not worth following any other religion. I'll just give you that right up front, right? God came to be with us. I think if we want to understand God's love, uh, it's not simply reading verses about it, but read the stories of Jesus. See how he interacted with people and how he loved. Jesus is the perfect representation of God. That's what it says in Colossians. This is who our God is. I want to read just the beginning of a story. The story itself is fantastic. There's just a beginning of a story which looks at Jesus, two separate people, and how he loves them. This is in Luke chapter 7. Uh, perhaps you, you're going to recognize the story. I'm just reading the first, what is that, five verses. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. All right, first verse, he's, he's invited over to someone's house, and so he goes. The Pharisees, who are the Pharisees? You see them a lot. In Bible stories, they're the ones who are the religious leaders, the teachers. They're the ones who've built their life around an identity based on religion, right? Very strong, not very flexible. They had all these rules that they had to do because in their mind, they were essentially proving to God, like, look how 
righteous and perfect and holy we are, right? And they're teaching everyone, like, just here, be better. You know, their heart broke the fact that people were just doing their own thing. They come back, come back to God, right? This is like the pastors of the group, right? You know, where uh, if the Messiah were to come to the Pharisees, they imagined that he would say, oh, thank goodness you're taking this thing seriously, right? They'd, well, oh, come on in, you know, big, big hug. Thank you for doing your part. Thank you for trying to help these people. Like, come on, like, I'll, I'll keep going. You know, you'll have elevated roles in God's kingdom. That's probably what they assumed the Messiah was going to do when he came. When Jesus came, who, who is the Messiah, he didn't do that to the Pharisees. In fact, he's pretty critical of them and their identity that had these very tight rules that didn't seem to know God, or at least that's what Jesus said. That actually convinces the Pharisees he's not the Messiah. He must not be, because he doesn't appreciate it, right? That, he's, but he goes to his house, right? Jesus loves him, <laughs> right? The Pharisees are loved by God, too. He goes there, and he sits down. It's a, it's a dinner party, right? Imagine this is like us um, having like a special prayer gathering, right? You know, and so we say, okay, if you're, if you're really holy, really spiritual, come back tonight. We're going to have a prayer meeting. Jesus is in town. He'll be special guest. Come on in, right? All right, next verse. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. Now that verse is one that I think I skipped over when I learned about this story when I was a kid, right? Like I just thought that, oh, like the woman was like on the corner of the flannel graph or whatever, and she just kind of came, right? You know, but it says in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. Like, hold on. So she wasn't invited? Wait, she wasn't. She, she wasn't known by this Pharisee? Like, who was this? Oh, it was, it was just the, the sinful lady, you know, the one, you know, kind of down the street, you know? And she decides, I'm crashing this party, right? You know, it's like we're having this nice prayer gathering that night, and then all of a sudden some drunk homeless guy, like, stumbles in smelling like weed, right? And he's like, Jesus! And we're like, ah, I knew I should have locked the door, you know? Like, that's what they're feeling, right? Like, they're at this dinner party. This woman walks in, you're like, no, not you, you know? Like, how did you get in? How did, how did they let you, right? And that's not the worst of it. Look, look. As as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. What? Like, look, look, look. It's known in the ancient world to anoint people with oil, right? Or even to pour perfume on them as a way of honoring them. But not wash their feet with your tears, dry them with your hair. That's way too much. And this is a sinful woman, if you know what I mean, right? Like, what are you trying to to do with this man, this new guy to town, you know? And like, easy here, you know, like, get back, right? Like, that's what they're saying. That's what she's doing. This is scandalous. Like, what kind of a love is this? Completely inappropriate. Completely inappropriate. She's not even invited, right? The Pharisees are like, aghast, shocked. Ah! Like, what what is going on, right? Here's here's what the Pharisee says, what he thinks in his head. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of a woman she is, that she is a sinner. Right? Like he knows he's not the Messiah. There's no way that Jesus is the Son of God, comes from God, has anything to do with him. Because look, he's, he's allowing this. He's just sitting there accepting this. Does he know who she is? Goodness, we all know who she is. Now, there's no way he's from, he's from God. This is just a sensual man, Right? Who is, who is she, <laughs> right? When she, when she woke up in the morning, looks in the mirror, who am I, right? The Pharisee would have told her, you're a sinner. I know exactly who you are. I know what role you have. And yet, Jesus 
and she isn't operating under that assumption, right? You know, the, the whole rest of this story is uh, Jesus turns, looks at the Pharisee, confronts him for this, this heart posture that he has. He elevates her as a model of love against the Pharisee who thought he was doing a good job. He tells this story about the one who has been forgiven much, is the one who loves much, and then he forgives her of her sins. Deep tenderness is expressed toward this woman, not just acceptance of her love, but he sees her. He elevates her in the eyes of these fancy dinner guests who are very holy and says, she's actually the example more than you are. See, God is operating through Jesus here with a different identity, right? Jesus is operating under the identity that she is loved by God. Her taking this risk to humiliate herself in front of everyone is operating under the identity that I am loved by God. He's from God. If I come to him, he will receive me. And I'll, I'll receive, who knows, a forgiveness of sins, right? He'll be elevated in the eyes of these others and these peers because they knew their identity was different than what the Pharisee said. Now, do we understand that that's what we are loved with? It's that kind of love that we have. No, nah, you guys are nodding your heads. I know you don't. No, nah, come on. Because, because, look, how many of us act like the Pharisee, right? We get our lives in order. Well, we, we do our devotions, right? We say, I'll do 21 days of prayer to start the year. Look at me. I'm doing it, right? We act. We act like Jesus in this story didn't do what Jesus did in this story, right? We act like when that woman walks in, Jesus recoils. Whoa, who's this, right? You know, she, she starts wiping his feet, dirty feet. Like, like this isn't the wiping something, he just took a shower. No, he just walked on the dirt roads there, right? Wiping his feet with her hair and her tears. We act, we act like Jesus was like, ooh, get off me, right? Like, let me <laughs> wipe that off. Come back when you're, when you're better, okay? You know, like, let, let's do this at a different time because we are afraid to approach God when we are sinners, when we're aware of our failures, when we're aware that we're not good enough, when we're not who we want to be, we know that God's thinking the same thing. We, we, we've been told that in our lives, right? Ah, be better. Ah, next time, don't worry. You know, like, ah, let's, let's fix you up. You know, we got to look good for church or whatever it is. We've internalized that. That says, well, when I'm not good, God must also know I'm not good. And he, because of course, yeah, in, the, in that story, yeah, a woman came in, he kicked her away, he recoiled, he washed himself and said, get better, right? Wrong. No, Jesus did not do that. Jesus welcomed her, received her, elevated her, loved her, forgave her of her sins. Look, here's something that I think we struggle with. God doesn't feel about you the way you feel about yourself, right? Like your self-esteem does not determine how God esteems you. Like too often, who am I? We look in the mirror and we say, well, I'm not who I want to be, right? We don't like who we are, right? You, you start answering that question by yourself and you're like, ah, I wish I was someone else. You know what? God probably feels the same way. God gave me all this potential. He gave me all these gifts and I'm not even using them, right? Wrong. No. <laughs> you are loved by God, look at how he handled this woman. She comes in uninvited. She's a sinner. He, everyone knows she leads a sinful life. She does the most humiliating thing, just crying on his feet and washing her tears off with her hair. And Jesus loves her, right? That's how God responds to us when we're at our worst, when we're at our nothingness, right? And so some of you say, yeah, but like, what if I didn't do my devotion today though, right? Yeah, you're loved by God. That's who you are. What if I said I was going to do 21 days of prayer? I've only done like five of the first seven. You are loved by God, 
right? You know, what if I yelled at my kids trying to get them in the car and get here on time? Yeah, you're loved by God, right? What if I doubt that God even exists, that he's good, that he loves me, that he cares? You're loved by God. Great, Pastor Brad. I've got a whole lot worse things, <laughs> you know? I'm divorced. You are loved by God, right? I've been abused. You are loved by God. I had an abortion. You are loved by God. I'm gay. You are loved by God, right? No, you don't understand. I'm currently in an affair right now, and I can't cut it off. You are loved by God. I'm trapped in addiction. I've not only ruined myself and my future, but I'm hurting all the people I care about in my life. You are loved by God. Do we get this, right? Like he loves us at our core, right? Like, like not the best version of us, not our potential, not what we could be, not what you wish you were. He loves you right now, like, like this morning right now. <laughs> all throughout your day, whenever you're answering a question, who am I? You are loved by God. Period. Period. Remember the story, right? You are loved by God. If we build our identity around this, it will rebuild our self-value. It will rebuild our confidence. It will rebuild our whole life. You know, at the end of this story, he says the woman who's been forgiven much loves much. In the same way, if our identity is rooted around being loved by God, you will start finding that you have much more love to give to other people. You have more compassion, more patience, because you recognize, right, that it's not because of anything you're doing that deserves the love. You're just loved by God. You start seeing the world that way. Every single person around you is loved by God, not because they're good, right? So you stop expecting them to be perfect, or you stop expecting them to live up to their potential or to be the person that you wish you could be, and you start accepting them as someone who is loved by God. You know, if you struggle with patience, which is a common struggle I think we all have, <laughs> perhaps it's because we don't fully understand that God loves us as us, right? Like, because maybe if we're expecting other people and things to be working out, maybe it's because we haven't fully understood and accepted that God loves me as me, <laughs> like right now, in nothingness. You'll have more compassion. You'll have more love. We say we, we live God's love beyond ourselves as a church. The only way we do that is if we truly understand and accept God's love for us. This is where it starts. This is where identity has to be. Otherwise, we're building an identity around religion, right? That's strong and not freedom, but this gives us strength. This gives us freedom to be us, to be in the world, or attaching our identity to someone else, and that's going to move, that's going to snap. We're going to fall when the earthquakes come. John wrote about this. The whole book of 1 John is fantastic. Uh, if you want to look at love and God, his presence with us, 1 John 4, 7, dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. If we know him, if we know that we are loved by him, it will come out. I mean, not on accident, it'll come out, right? We're transformed where our posture toward others is one of God's love because we see the world like him. And if you want to know uh, what it looks like to have an identity of one loved by God, you don't have to listen to me. You can just follow this John guy. Read his whole gospel. 
the book of John, read his letters, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, you will see that he understands what it means to be loved by God. What I love is four times in his gospel he refers to himself. He doesn't say John. You know what he says? The, the disciple who Jesus loved. <laughs> his identity was the one loved by God. All right, so today, choose to build your identity around God's love for you. Who are you? You are loved by God. Make it your goal not to attach to other people, not to attach to religion itself, but attach to God and say like John said, I am a disciple who Jesus loves. And pray with me. Amen, God. We praise you. We thank you, God. Your love is amazing. It's unlike anything else that we have in this world. Lord, help us understand that. Help us feel it. Help us recognize that we are that woman. Help us choose that role. Choose the humiliation that she chose in order to worship at your feet and be lifted up by you. God, you are the person that we want to build our lives around. We too often build it around the things that we want to be or what other people have told us or the expectations that other ha others have of us, God. But no, may we be the one who is loved by you. We trust that that will change our lives. We trust that that will bring us not only closer to you, but closer to our purpose in the world, bringing new life to others around us, God. We want that. I ask that your Holy Spirit would be present in us in order that we might be able to feel this, know this, and to live this out. We repent of building our identity around anything else, even the good things in life, <laughs> even the qualities you've given us, the gifts you've given us, Lord, we repent from building our identities around those things. Our identity is just a nothing who is deeply loved by you. We thank you for that. We thank you that you demonstrated that. And we ask that that would be ever more present in our lives. In your name we pray, amen. Now this morning is the first Sunday of the month, which is when we set aside time to remember communion and to celebrate it together. And communion, I can't think of a better way to respond to God's love. See, because in communion, Jesus actually takes the role of the woman, right? And he comes to us and humiliates himself, washing off the dirtiest parts of us with the most precious perfume of all, his blood. On the cross, he demonstrates his reckless, scandalous love for us in our dirtiness. And everyone looks at him and says, Ugh. And Jesus says, no, I love you. I love you. We can choose to accept that love, and that's what communion is. It says, Lord, I want that love deep within me. That's why we eat it. That's why we eat it and drink it. We want it inside of us. We don't just want to know it with our heads. We actually want to internalize it. And so these symbols that we take, the bread and the juice, we take them inside of us in faith that it will then bloom, blossom, and then reach others outside of us as we are transformed by his love. Uh, we practice uh, an open table. Anyone and everyone is welcome to take these elements if you want to accept God's love. If you want to make this the core identity of who you are, you are welcome to take it. Uh, we'll all make one line down the middle here. We'll grab the bread and the cup and then go back to your chairs on the outside. And then once everyone has it, I'll come back up and we'll all take them together. the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread, and after he gave thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
same way, after dinner, he took the cup. I said, this cup is the new covenant which is in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. And in doing this, we proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. Would you bow your heads and hearts with me? Lord, we receive your love. We thank you that you demonstrated it. We thank you that you didn't just tell us about it. You didn't just tell us to believe your love, but you came to show us, to sit across the table, to allow us to come at your feet, to cry and worship you, to forgive us, God. May you be present in our lives. May we have a real, deep, loving relationship with you. We thank you for dying on the cross, for taking away our sins and allowing us to be made pure before you. Thank you for your unconditional love, Lord. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. We've got some discussion questions uh, to wrap up our time. Uh, The only rule is you have to be in a group with someone you didn't come here with. And so we'll take... maybe five, ten minutes, and then I'll come back up and I'll dismiss you. But here's the questions that we've got. One, who do others say you are? So to the outside world, how would they answer, who are you? Number two, what prevents you from building your identity on God's love? Try to identify those barriers, identify those difficulties. And then three is an application question. How can you be reminded that you are loved by God? So that can become your identity. Take about five minutes. I'll come back up and I'll dismiss us. You guys can leave whenever you want to leave, but you certainly can stay for as long as you want to stay. Uh, But as you leave, make the conscious decision to answer the question, who am I, with I am loved by God. Go this week in the Lord's peace. And you can stack chairs too if you'd like. (laughs) 